Hello and welcome to episode 58 of the Atlanta Man Podcast. I am your host, Ryan Rogers, and on today's episode we have a lot to talk about between the Braves and the Hawks. Um, not as busy on the Hawks end as I thought it was going to be, as John Collins has not been traded yet. And uh, for the Braves, they have a overall winning week. They go 4-3 and three on the week, but um, some uh, late-night, disappointing, heartbreaking stuff on Sunday Night Baseball last night against the Dodgers prevents the 5-2 and two week and prevents a series win over the Dodgers. Um, so we'll start off with the Braves today in this episode. I've um, got to finish up this um, giant series. I was able to talk about the first two games last week. Um, so we'll go over the last two now. Uh, like I said, the Braves ended up taking three out of four in the series against the Giants, who are a good baseball team. That's worth saying. Um, and anytime you can do that, that's definitely a positive. So start off with game three, right after, right after we left off. This was a uh, come-from-behind win for the Braves, very similar to the one they gave up last night to the Dodgers. So I guess uh, you give some, giveth, taketh away, baseball does. And uh, that was definitely the case in this one as the Braves went into the ninth inning down 3-1 to one against the Giants. Um, Jake McGee was on the mound, and the Braves scored three runs in the bottom of the ninth to win the game. Dansby hits a homer to make it 3-2. to two. William Contreras had an RBI single uh, to, to tie the game, and then Adam Duvall had the walk-off. Um, Braves were shut down pretty much in this game up until then by Carlos Rodon, who was terrific. Um, so was Charlie Morton in this game. We'll get to him in a second. But Rodon, seven innings pitched, one earned run, 10 strikeouts for him. He continues to be awesome this year for the Giants. And uh, Charlie Morton wasn't too shabby either. So he went seven innings pitched, two earned runs on two solo homers, um, and uh, 11 strikeouts. So another really positive, positive outing for Charlie as he um, had the really brutal start to the season. But a really, really good win, like um, – uh, kind of a uh, Brian Snitker era-esque win for the Braves. It's kind of one of their calling cards throughout um, this whole run they've been on with Snitker um, and since like 2018. It was kind of a like a 2018-2019 Braves kind of win. Um, but yeah, just turned it on in the ninth inning. Um, Jake McGee is not having the best of years for the Giants. And I guess their bullpen's kind of thin. He was their closer last year, so I guess they're just kind of sticking to him. But he was not good at all in, uh, in this one. And, uh, yeah, a very good one for the Braves, one where you were down, able to come back in a game where it didn't look like it was going to go your way at all, and the Giants were just going to kind of keep you at bay, and they did not. So a terrific win for the Braves, and uh, another one the very next day, a 7-6 to victory to take the series 3 out of 4. Um, should have been this close, honestly. The Braves had a 7-1 to lead in this game, and the Giants scored um, five runs over the last five innings to make it interesting. Um, Kyle Wright. Starting this one, another tough start for him, even though it really wasn't as bad as the um, box score would indicate. 5.1 innings pitched, four earned runs, four strikeouts. He was doing fine up until um, they brought him into the sixth inning. He had only given up, let's see, I think one run until then, maybe two. Um, let me check the box score one more time. Heading into the uh, sixth, yeah, only two runs given up. Then he gave up two more in the sixth to really kind of blow up his line and make it look like a, not a great start, which it wasn't. Um, he kind of lost his way there, but he was a lot better than um, former Brave Alex Wood on the other side for the Giants, who only went one innings pitched, one inning pitched rather, six earned runs for him. He was pretty brutal in this game. Um, former Brave right there, not the best of starts for him, but uh, the bullpen ended up leaking a little bit to let the Giants back into this one. Will Smith gave up a run, 
in the uh, eighth inning, and Kenley Jansen gave up an absolute bomb to old friend Jock Peterson uh, to make it 7-6, to six, but the Braves were able to hang on and win 7-6 to six in this one. Dansby continues to just be absolutely on fire. He had two homers in this game, and um, he's really, really the main catalyst for the Braves in this one. Uh, three hits total, two homers, three RBIs. He was fantastic. Um, Darno had three hits out of the two-hole, where he's hit uh, twice this week, actually hit there on Sunday Night Baseball, too, and had another game. Darno is kind of quietly having an awesome year. Um, he had three hits in this game. It's great for him. And, uh, yeah, the Braves' offense came to play in this one. Phil Gosselin had two hits, which is uh, good for him. That's awesome. Uh, so, yeah, the Braves' offense came to play. And the pitching, it bent, but it didn't completely break in this one. And the Braves take three out of four against the Giants. So, Move on to the next game is game one against the Dodgers, and this was the return of Freddie Freeman to Atlanta, and it was a, a emotional weekend, especially for Freddie. Um, you know, before the game even started, he had a believe like a forty-five minute press conference, and he just couldn't hold it back. He was crying essentially the entire time. Um, he came out onto the field to receive his ring. Was crying. He's a very emotional guy. I think we um, know that about Freddie. Um, but this was uh, this was unlike anything I've ever seen probably from any athlete returning to any situation in sports. Like I've never seen anything like this. And you know, Freddie is obviously a super level player, but there has been some very notable returns from players. And I guess it's just uh, the uh, nature of how the departure went down with the um, negotiations falling through between Freddie and the Braves that made this all the more emotional for him. Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, emotional weekend like I said they showed that video of Freddie crying at the press conference like a hundred times throughout all the broadcasts uh, there were two national tv broadcasts um, Fox on Saturday night and then ESPN on Sunday night so they're really milking this whole Freddie returning thing for ratings I assume and it was just very tiresome towards the end uh, by game three I had seen the videos of him crying like a hundred times and I was just ready for this all to be over um, but yeah Braves lose this one. We'll get to the baseball now, but yeah, Freddie was back. And Braves lose four to one. Um, Julio Urias versus Ian Anderson was the pitching matchup. Urias was great in this game. Ian Anderson was not. He had a very rough first inning, gave up two runs, and then he uh, settled in tremendously through innings two through four. But then they brought him out for a third time through the order, and he gave up two more runs. Um, kind of the Ian Anderson experience in the nutshell, having a terrible first inning per usual, and. Uh, when the third time through the order comes through, just getting raked again. So they um, brought in Colin McHugh, who actually was very good in this game. Three innings pitch, no earned runs, three strikeouts. So very, very solid outing, what the Braves got him for. Um, like I said, Urias was great for the Dodgers. Six innings pitched, one earned run. The Braves did have some on base, um, some runners in scoring position opportunities in this game, but they went 0 for 6 with runners in scoring position in this game. And uh, that's... Um, yeah, that's that's not going to be a recipe for success on offense. And credit to the Dodgers, the pitching was very good. But this was a, a dud of a performance for the Braves and really a dud of a game compared to the other two that happened. And we'll move on to those now. Uh, game two, Braves win 5-3. to three. They got off to a 3 to nothing lead in this game. Um, after five innings, Dansby hit a homer to make it 2 to nothing, And uh, Austin really had an RBI double. But the Dodgers came storming back. Um, Will Smith had the game-tying homer in the eighth. Uh, the Dodgers were able to get to Freed in the seventh after a Cody Bellinger single and a Chris Taylor single, I believe, to drive in a run. Um, let me see here the RBIs. No, it's Austin Barnes actually, their backup catcher, who uh, made it three to two. And then, like I said, Will Smith in the eighth took AJ Mentor deep, 
which is a rare thing that happens this year because AJ's been terrific. Um, but they tied the game in the eighth, but in the bottom of the eighth inning, Marcelo Zuna, um, everyone's favorite punching bag, buys himself a little more time uh, as the fan base tries to tolerate him. He hits a huge two-run homer off Brewster Gratterall to make it 5-3 to three in the bottom of the eighth. An absolute bomb to dead center uh, over the Braves' bullpen. It was a rocket shot. He was all over it, didn't miss that one at all. And uh, probably Marcel's biggest homer of the year, his biggest hit of the year, as uh, he definitely, definitely needed that one. Um, so that was a that was a big moment in the game. Obviously, Kenley came in. He uh, slammed the door in the ninth. He struck out the side in order against his old team. Um, so that was always good to see. But Max was really good in this game again. Um, six innings pitched, two six six point two innings pitched, two earned runs, nine strikeouts, and it was honestly he was better than that, as um, he was barely not able to get out of the seventh inning as Cody Bellinger. Um, almost hit a huge home run off of him that was fouled by a couple of inches um, that would have tied the game. Um, instead, had the RBI single to make it 3-1, to one, and then Will Smith gave up the hit to Austin Barnes to make it 3-2. to two. But Max was awesome in this game. He's continuing to be one of the best pitchers in baseball this year. He leads baseball in a Fangraph's war right now, and that's very, very impressive over guys like uh, Sandy Alcantara, Carlos Rodon, Corbin Burns, guys like that are having awesome years. Max has the most Fangraphs war out of all of them, which is um, very, very impressive for Max. And he is just having maybe his best season yet so far. So, yep, that's uh, that'll do it for Game 2. Game 2 was a lot more fun than Game 3. Well, so we'll get into that right now. And, oh, almost forgot. In Game 2, Acuna did foul a ball off of his foot in the third inning. And um, he stayed in the game up until the 8th when he was um, removed. Guillermo Heredia came in for him. Um, as he just couldn't put like any weight on his foot, he said he didn't play Sunday either. Um, as he on uh, Sunday he came in on the little uh, what you, what do you even call it like the roller thing that you prop your leg onto and just kind of roll around on. I don't know the exact term for it. I forgot, but it's the same thing he used uh, when he was recovering from his ACL, which doesn't sound good at all. Um, but the Braves kind of downplayed it and said it wasn't as serious as it is that there's no fracture in the foot that he just has trouble putting weight on it and just trying to be extra precautious but they did say that a 10-day IL stint might be necessary um there's been no word on that he didn't play um yesterday and the Braves have an off day today so I'm guessing they're just gonna see how he feels tomorrow and um they'll go from there as if um deciding to put him on the 10-day IL or not but it doesn't seem like anything that even if he is out for 10 days that'll probably be the minimum he'll probably just stay on there for the uh, minimum amount of time so nothing too worrisome I'd say but uh yeah not, definitely not good, as uh, he did miss the game on Sunday, which we will get into now. Um, it was Spencer Strider and Tony Gonsolin for this game. Uh, Tony Gonsolin has also been one of the best pitchers in baseball this year. He has a sub-2 ERA. Um, he's always been a pretty talented guy and put up good numbers, but he is fully breaking out this year for the Dodgers. And Spencer Strider, uh, like I said in the last episode, had a pretty bad start against the Giants, so he was looking to bounce back, and he uh, definitely did that. He was awesome in this game. Uh, both guys were pretty awesome, honestly, but Strider did edge out Gonson a little bit. He went six innings pitched, zero earned runs, seven strikeouts, zero walks against this Dodgers lineup, which is very, very good. So uh, an extremely impressive performance by Spencer Strider. Probably his best start in the big leagues yet to this point against a very good team. Uh, on the other side, Gonsolin went 5.2 innings pitched, one earned run. He was very solid also, um, but this game ended up going much longer than the Braves wanted it to. Um, we'll get into the scoring now. First run was uh, scored on an RBI 
from Marcelo Zuna, who had a little blue base hit in the seventh inning or the sixth inning. Let me check that real quick. Yeah, it was the sixth inning um, that they got that run in, a big two-out hit for Marcel. And then in the seventh, Austin Riley had an RBI sack fly to make it two to nothing. So that was pretty much all the offense to this point. The Braves' bullpen had shut it down through seven and eight innings between um, – it was Dylan Lee who came in. Then they brought in Jesse Chavez, and he got out of a big jam, struck out Trey Turner. Then A.J. Mentor had a painless 1-2-3 inning in the eighth. And then Kinley comes in in the, bottom, or in the top of the ninth. He gets the first two guys strike to strike out uh, Justin Turner and Cody Bellinger. Um, so he had struck out the side last the night before, and he had now struck out five in a row. And uh, he had Gavin Lux with two strikes and two outs and a long at-bat. And Lux singles to the right side. Um, didn't really think much of it at the time because it was kind of just like a a two out single with Kenley on the mound, and you know you still fear of like a homer to tie the game, but wasn't too worried yet. But um, in hindsight, the Braves were not shifting Lux, who is a lefty pull hitter. Um, you know, ball when that ball was hit off the bat, I thought Arcia was going to be right there to uh, get that ball, and he wasn't. It went through for a hit, and then the very next pitch, Chris Taylor. Has a single to the left side. I don't really blame them for not shifting there because those kind of shifts was righties. They never go that deep as where he hit that ball. So I think that was going to be a hit no matter what. And then the absolute most frustrating and just bizarre way to lose a lead, um, to especially to this guy, was a uh, Trace Thompson, who is kind of filling in for Mookie Betts right now as um, he is out for the Dodgers. He's uh, Clay Thompson's brother um, of Golden State Warrior fame. Um, just won another ring, and that's who he is. He's Trace Thompson. He's not particularly a great MLB player, with all due respect. He is kind of a quad A guy. Um, he he got extremely lucky. Is the only way I'm going to put it. Credit where it's due, I guess, for putting the bat on the ball. Um, the but he does tie the game with a RBI two RBI single that was just inches off the glove of Matt Olson. It tipped off his glove into right field. Um, I saw some people complaining that Olsen was playing very far in, which I agree. I don't know why he was playing super in with no runner on first base. As um, Kinley did concede the Chris Taylor to second base, as Kinley's just very easy to steal on with his delivery. And that's um, That's been the book on him for years, so they were able to get second base without a throw, actually, because it was just no shot. Um, so, yeah, runners were both in scoring position, and um, that proved to be very costly because – that ball just hits off the very end of his bat. He barely made contact, and he literally looks up around the stadium as he thought he had popped it back. He literally thought that he popped this ball back out of play. He was looking around trying to find it, and then took him a couple seconds to realize that he had actually hit it in play, and it had just barely got over Matt Olson's glove. He was an inch taller. He would have caught it. If he was playing a step or two back, he would have caught it, um, and the game is tied in just the absolute dumbest and unfortunate way honestly with the Braves it wasn't a hard hit ball literally the pitch before he pretty much did the same thing it he barely hit the ball off the end of the bat to foul it off to keep the game alive and then he just did the same thing and ended up getting in play so um Kinley definitely deserves some blame here he gave up three hits but I do think you know only one that probably should have been given up was the Chris Taylor one the other two probably should have been outs but the Braves didn't have their defense aligned the way they probably should have. I don't know. I don't know um, Gavin Lux spray chart off the top of my head, but I assume that deep in the hole at second base is where a lot of his ground balls are hit, and that's exactly where he hit that ball. And 
or Arcia was just kind of playing over towards the bag, and I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why Matt Olson was playing so far in at first base with no one on first. I don't know why a lot of things happen, but they do, and this this was just a devastating way to tie the game. Um, but game wasn't over, obviously. he gets Kinley gets out of it, and without any more runs scoring, and we head to the bottom of the ninth. Um, Braves get nothing there in the bottom of the ninth. Um, I do. I do need to mention that Michael Harris had a game saving, or not a game, a, not a game saving catch, but a lead saving catch in the ninth inning. Um, Trace Thompson stole off Kinley immediately after he reached, obviously, and then Trey Turner hit a you know, like a ball into center field, pretty shallow, little like a slow liner, and Michael comes in with a huge diving catch to make the play to preserve the tie. He also had another ball um, in extra innings that he caught from Gavin Lux that he had to cover like a an insane amount of feet. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I thought there was no chance he was getting to this ball. I thought it might have been a home run, honestly, but he ends up tracking down the warning track after just traveling a mile to get to it. He was on one defensively in this game, and he had two hits, and he continues to be good for the Braves. So just got to shout out Michael Harris real quick because he had a couple of awesome plays. But the Braves get nothing at the bottom of the ninth. Top of the 10th inning, um, the Braves give up a run. Uh, they brought in Darren O'Day, I believe, in the top of the 10th. Was it O'Day? No, it was Will Smith who gave up the run. Um, it was the ghost runner that scored. It was a Freddie Freeman double, actually, that brought him in, which was, you know, everybody was creaming their pants over that one, um, which was pretty annoying. But I, I got I got sick of Freddie last night, for being honest. I just kept seeing the videos of him crying, and I was just, I was over it. This game was just exhausting, and I was just over all of this. But he has the RBI double to... Um, give the Dodgers the lead but credit to Will Smith he gave it the ghost runner which is kind of I don't want to say expected but it kind of is he gets out of there with no other further damage which was a good job by Will Smith I'll give him credit for that he's been pretty good lately too so happy with Will Smith at the moment um, but in the bottom of the 10th Matt Olson ties the game with a RBI single immediately to score the ghost runner Travis Darno, and then the Braves have opportunities to win the game Orlando Arcia with a chance um, with a runner in scoring position Strikes out looking. Um, then William Contreras actually hit a ball that I thought was a home run to dead center, but just kind of died right at the warning track. And just for another time in this game, Braves were just so close, so close. And there was another so close moment in the next inning that I'll get to with Austin Riley. But, um, yeah, just an absolutely brutal, brutal, brutal um, long fly ball. I stood up out of my seat. I thought it was gone, and it wasn't, and I was just very upset. So we'll move on to the top of the 11th, and Dodgers had a runner on second, obviously the ghost runner. They move him to third on a ground ball, and then a – I forgot who hit the ball, but it was a kind of slicing line drive that was heading foul. Um but Riley tries to go catch it, which I don't blame him. Last night I was kind of mad. I was like, why don't you just let it go foul? But that was just going to be me mad in the moment, honestly. It's just kind of your natural instinct as a baseball player to go after a ball that's near you. And he almost catches it. It's pretty much the same kind of action off of the glove that Matt Olson had. He was just an inch away. And if he would have caught it, he would have stepped on third immediately. And that would have been a double play. But he doesn't catch it because Bellinger was on third. and He was way off the bag as he kind of broke towards home as he saw the ball go down the line. Then he tried to break back, um, and then the ball goes off Riley's glove into foul ground. The run scores, yada, 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 and the Dodgers have the lead again. 
just another brutal play of just a brutal game for the Braves. A brutal just ninth through 11th inning game for the Braves. It was just just torturous on torturous plays. The Contreras long fly ball, the ball off Olsen's glove, the Riley one. It was just very, very frustrating. So the Dodgers get a run there. Then Trey Turner, of course. The Braves had held him 0 for 5 in the game. He has to get his in at some point as he has an RBI single to make it 5-3. to And um, Braves go 1-2-3 in the bottom of the 11th and they lose 5-3. to um, Probably the most, I don't want to say a, it's, it is a bad loss, probably not the worst loss of the season, but probably the most heartbreaking loss of the year. So I guess it's going to go down as one of the bad ones this year. And that's going to happen throughout the throughout a baseball season. But it really just sucks that they, they lost this game like this. It was just absolutely devastating. It was, a, it was a night ruiner, as I like to call it. My night was absolutely ruined, and I I just couldn't really recover for the rest of the night. Woke up this morning and just kind of looked up at the ceiling, and I didn't feel much better about it, for being honest. Um, so just one of those that kind of lingers, just talking about it now and just replaying those in my head. It just hurts, but i got to remind myself, this is a regular season baseball game on June 26th. And yeah, it's not a playoff game, so it's hard to it's hard to uh, you know compartmentalize these things as a sports fan. And um, yeah, I guess this is just kind of turned into a therapy session at this point. But yeah, a tough loss to be sure um, to the Dodgers. Really, just want to stick it to that son of a bitch Freddie to take two out of three against them because he had just really been pissing me off last night. I'm just kind of being like I, I just was getting annoyed by just the crying. But um, it's just because they kept showing the clip. I love Freddie, and I, I didn't mean what I just said, calling him an SOB. I take that back, but I'm just kind of taking up some more frustration right now. Um, but, yeah, just the crying video, she started to get my nerves. They played, like, a thousand times last night. Like, every time they got up from commercial, I swear to God, they were playing that video from crying at the press conference or the one of him getting his ring crying. And I'm just like, Jesus, man, like, just stop. Like, we've seen it. Okay. Anyway, um, Braves are five games back in the NL East right now. Um, the Mets lost yesterday, which was good. They, they actually got walked off by the Marlins on a walk-off homer earlier in the day, which was an opportunity for the Braves to make it a four games, but it's still at five. Still very manageable, and still the Braves are in a, the Braves are in a completely fine spot. They're 10 games over 500. they They're a 90-something win pace. Um, I can pull up their uh, playoff odds and stuff right now on Baseball Reference. Right now the Braves have an 80.2% chance of making the playoffs. Um, the division right now is at a 24.2% clip, so they're still pretty heavy underdogs against the Mets. The Mets are sitting at 73.2, but it still gives the Braves overwhelming odds to make the uh, postseason at 80%. Um, so, yeah, I'm not worried about the Braves. It's just a frustrating loss. But they went 4-3 and three on the week to the Giants and Dodgers. Like, those are two good teams. And if you told me on Monday that the Braves would go 4-3 and three this week, I would have took it. I would have said, all right, perfect. I'll I'll dust my hands off and walk away with that one. But I them doing it in this way, honestly, it really just comes down to the last game against the Dodgers. Them doing it in this way was just the worst way to possibly do it. But then again, you got to think, that game against the Giants, they did the same thing, and it's just kind of baseball. Like, it's it's what happens. It's what, it's what baseball is. You know, you're going to have games where you're – coming back and snatching them back but at least the Braves actually making like actual contact of baseballs on like Trace Turner and that Giants game I mean that that was just a ridiculous ball like I wish like I wish I could like put up a video on the podcast app of me like explaining it of just how ridiculous it was I mean Jesus like he didn't know where the ball went it was like 
when Little League, when the kid hits the ball off the tee or coach pitch and they hit the ball and they look around, they don't know where the hell it is. That's exactly what he did, and he's a Major League Baseball player. I'm sorry, Trace Turner, or Trace Thompson. Clay Thompson's brother, I'm sorry. But that was ridiculous, and you know it too. Like, don't, don't, you can't be happy about that result because that was humiliating the way you looked around, like just a lost little boy. Oh, God. Okay. We got to move on. All right. Well, um, Talk about the Braves' schedule, what they got coming up. Uh, they got an off day today, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing after a loss like this. I don't know. Um, but they play the Phillies on the road for three this week, and then the Reds this weekend, who are a terrible baseball team. So the Phillies are without Bryce Harper right now. Actually broke his thumb over the weekend against the Padres. Um, Blake Snell hit him. It was kind of a weird, awkward kind of situation because he, like, yelled at Blake Snell, and then he, like, immediately took it back and apologized which was kind of funny um, that he, like, not funny that he got hurt, obviously, but just, like, the whole interaction after. He was like, oh, my bad, man. I, that wasn't necessary. I know you didn't mean to. Um, apparently him and Snell are, like, friends, too, off the field, so I don't know. It's just kind of weird, but he is out for a while now. I've, I've seen some stuff that he might be out for the entire season because he's got this now that might need surgery on his thumb, and he has a torn UCL. He's been playing with a torn UCL all year. That's why he's been DH in every game. So there has been some discussion of like, hey, do you just like go ahead and knock both these surgeries out and get ready for next year because you're just so hurt. So pretty brutal break for the Phillies, losing their best player. And so the Braves will have the benefit of not having to face Harper, who is a Braves killer. And then the Reds over the weekend, the Reds are not good. It is it is six road games, so a little road trip, but you know the Braves are better than both of these teams. And hopefully they get a little kick in the pants after this really bad loss and they just go out and just bulldoze these two teams. Um, the Phillies are competent. They can hit. Um, Kyle Schwarber's been a nut job for them, so he's good. And I think they're they're getting Wheeler and Nola, I believe, who were both having good years. So the Phillies series is definitely not a cakewalk, but the Reds aren't good. The Braves should at least take two out of three against the Reds this weekend. So that's it for the Braves. Can't talk about them anymore without getting angry. So it's time to talk about the Hawks, who I said last week on the podcast that I'd probably be doing an emergency podcast because it seemed that they were going to trade John Collins on draft night. And the Hawks didn't do anything trade-wise on draft night, which was surprising. Not impossible, but surprising. I thought at the very least they would at least trade around their picks, maybe trade up because there were rumors of them trading up for, like, number eight. It could have been Collins and trading up in the same trade. But none of that happened. They stayed pat at 16, and they got actually really good value for the second year in a row. Um, you know, Travis Schlink under the Hawks has had guys just fall on his lap before. Like I said, last year um, happened twice in the same draft with Jalen Johnson and Sharif Cooper, who are two two um, pretty big-time high school prospects. And he was able to get both of them at 22 and 48. And then um, in 2017 with John Collins, he fell in their lap too at 19, I believe, was where he was picked. Um, he was not supposed to be there, and they took him. And the same thing happened in this draft in round one with A.J. Griffin out of Duke. He was a guy that wasn't on a ton of um, people's radars or going to the Hawks unless they traded up, but he fell all the way to him, or all the way to them, rather. And um, he is a top 20 recruit out of high school. He's um, a freshman last year at Duke. He is 18 years old still. I think he turns 19 in like August, so he will be 19 when the season starts, but still a teenage boy. I don't want to call him a boy. This is a grown man, but he is a teenager still. Um, he's a big recruit, went to Duke, and had a pretty, pretty good year last year at Duke. He shot 45% from three last year at Duke, which is obviously terrific. Um, and uh, on pretty good attempts, too, on four attempts per game. Uh, played in 39 games last year as Duke had the long run into the NCAA tournament. So he was solid for Duke last year. 
and um, had a good efficiency numbers also. So like nothing to really um, have any qualms about with him, except the reason why he fell, which I have to mention, is that he has some concerning medical stuff with his knees. Um, and that is just like the consensus of why he fell so far. Um, still with the Hawks at 16, the value is too good and the upside is too high to not take a guy like this. But there is the possibility that his knees are made of sheetrock. Um, he's had injury stuff in high school before. And so that is definitely just something to keep an eye on. Um, I don't know how the Hawks are going to utilize him this year. Um, Nate McMillan is not a guy that loves playing rookies. We saw that last year with uh, Jalen Johnson as there seemed to be numerous opportunities to give him playing time. And he did end up giving him a little bit of playing time towards the end of the year, and he actually looked quite good. But Jalen Johnson did not play nearly as much as he should have. So I don't know what AJ's shots are of cracking the rotation this year. Um, he's, he's a wing, and wings are very valuable. And I get a lot of it's going to like depend on what the Hawks do for the rest of the offseason. Like if Kevin Herter ends up traded, that could open the door for AJ Griffin to get some minutes at the three. Bogey gets moved. One of the wings get moved somehow. That could open up some opportunities. Even Collins, his move, him inevitably getting moved still could open the door for AJ, but it just depends on the other corresponding moves of the offseason for the Hawks. So yeah, I like, I like, I like the pick a lot though. Um, and I got to mention the second round pick Tyrese Martin out of UConn. Um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and act like I've ever heard who Tyrese Martin was until the other day, but you know, he's an older guy. He went all four years of college, um, was at Rhode Island for the first two, and then went to UConn for his last two. He was pretty good last year at UConn, and you know, the Hawks actually did sell their um, 44th pick to the Warriors and went down to 51, which is not a good thing that the Hawks do that. Um, selling draft picks is nothing does nothing beneficial to the basketball side of things. It's literally just so you're, the owner is selling picks. Tony Ristler is selling picks for money. That's ex- like exactly what he's doing for like two hundred thousand dollars. But they still get Tyrese Martin. He's a guard out of a UConn, and uh, maybe he could be a success f- success story of the second round. So, um, not gonna give go too deep into his biography because I honestly don't know anything about him. But welcome to the team, Tyrese. I'm happy to have you here. So, moving on from the draft stuff, um, like I said, John Collins to the surprise of me and a lot of people didn't get moved on draft night but there was some new rumors that are spurting out about Collins um, the main one and most notable one and the most the most reporting on one probably the only one I'm going to talk about I've talked about a couple of them last week but this is the freshest and newest one it is a package surrounding John Collins to the San Antonio Spurs and DeJounte Murray returning in the trade to the Atlanta Hawks now the Spurs came out and said that he is. they are shopping DeJounte Murray and that they're trying to get a Drew Holiday-like return, which um, Drew Holiday got traded uh, the, the the offseason before last to the Bucks from the Pelicans, and the Bucks traded three first-rounders and Eric Bledsoe. So they're looking for a package like that, um, just kind of comparing what the trades might, the trade will be like compared to the Drew Holiday trade. Um, John Collins is a much better basketball player than Eric Bledsoe was at the time of that trade. So that adds a ton of value. Obviously, Collins will be the main piece in this one. And I think the Hawks would probably only have to give up a pick, or maybe probably two picks, two first rounders. And they got they got the Charlotte first round pick, which is a you know, a protected pick, which they could that could be part of it, maybe their first other first round pick in a, two years from now. So the Hawks have pretty good draft assets at the moment, so um, nothing that I'll be too worried about because I am a 
huge fan of DeJounte Murray. He is a he is a point guard, um, which, you know, I guess like off the top of your head, you think, oh, Trey Young's a point guard too. You can't have both of them on the same team. That's not true at all. Um, he is a guy that is a stat-stuffing machine. He's got a little bit of Russell Westbrook in him when it comes to filling up the uh, stat sheet and triple-doubles. He broke the Spurs' all-time triple-double record last year. He averaged 21 points. Um, let me pull it up real quick. 21 points, 8 rebounds, and 9 assists per game, so almost averaging a triple-double last year. Um, he made his first all-star team last year. He was the steel champion last year, which is a thing the Hawks really need because he is also an all-defensive player in the past. Um, he is a very good defensive guard on the perimeter. He can facilitate. He can he can give Trey more opportunities to play off the ball, which Trey has had a lot of success doing in the past. But he is a very, very good fit for the Hawks, and he is on a very, very good contract, a much cheaper contract than John Collins, um, which that doesn't really matter to me, but it obviously matters to the Hawks because they're trying to stay out of the tax and um, all that stuff. As I think Collins is making eight million more dollars in him right now um so yeah hawks will have him if they do go through the trade they'll have him for two more years at 16 million and 17 million instead of collins who is making 24 25 million so yeah like a seven eight million dollar difference in salary there which is um definitely notable because uh, the hawks have not seemed super willing to go in deep into the tax and pay all that extra money um tony wrestler is not exactly um steve Ballmer or um the nets owner whoever that is if it's jay-z or whoever the hell it is of going into the tax and um you know paying a lot of money for these guys they're trying to do this a smart way and um i think out of all the rumors i've heard for collins this is far and away the best one i've never been a huge fan of trading collins because i think he when he's right he is the second best player on the hawks all around um and when he's healthy um but out of all the proposals like I i didn't love trading up with the kings or the blazers or whoever and getting like Harrison Barnes back from the Kings too, I, 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 I didn't love any of those. I didn't love trading up in this draft. I'm really glad they didn't because it really worked out for them by getting actual like lottery value at 16 with A.J. Griffin. That definitely worked out for them. And Murray's like a, I don't know, he's an all-star last year. He's a, he's a star-level player. He was last year. He really broke out. I don't know if he he's as good as he is last year for the rest of his career or if he peaked, but he's only 25 years old. He'll be 26 when the season starts. And he's still a very young guy with a lot of upside and just a very good basketball player. And another um, perimeter like threat, scoring threat that Trey needed, and that's really what the Hawks lacked last year in the playoffs when Trey struggled. They didn't have a number two guy, and Murray could be that guy. He's not the uh, greatest three-point shooter, but still he's a guy that can get downhill, which the Hawks really don't have anybody other than Trey and like Bogey at times that can get downhill into the rim. He can do that. He's, he excels at that, especially last year. So, yeah, the Murray rumors are something that were really exciting. And the first time I was excited about a John Collins trade rumor because I would do this deal absolutely. Collins and two firsts for Murray, absolutely. I'll do that right now. I love John Collins, but I do think his his skill set would be better off in San Antonio. The Hawks have limited Collins a lot in his time here, offensively especially. Um, he, he, does, he doesn't touch the ball as much as he really needs to with Atlanta with the kind of offense they run. And I think the Hawks are well more suited – would be way better suited to have their second best player also be a guard alongside Trey Young and a guard that is a good two-way player that is like I said the Steels champ last year an all-defensive player in the past and uh, DeJounte Murray is um, awesome and he was he cooked the Hawks last year too that game there's the game against the, the Hawks had 
against the Spurs at home last year. And the Spurs, they weren't very good last year. They made the play-in, but they were pretty bad overall. Um, but uh, I'm trying to find uh, the game against the Hawks that he had. It was later in the year. Yeah, this one right here. Um, he absolutely torched Atlanta in this game. Um, let's see. He had 32 points, 10 re- 15 assists, and 10 rebounds against the Hawks. He was plus 15 in that game. The Hawks or the Hawks got blown out by the Spurs, a bad Spurs team at the time. I remember that game pretty vividly of him just absolutely torching the Hawks. So we've seen this firsthand how good he can be. He had a monster game, triple double, against Atlanta last year. So yeah, if if the Hawks um trade for Dejounte Murray. I'll be very excited. And it could happen any moment now. They might wait till free agency opens up just so, you know, more things can play out, more dominoes can fall. Um, that's, that wouldn't be till July 1st, so that would be this Friday. Um, so I don't know if it's going to happen now or when free agency opens up. It could happen right after I record this, which would be pretty funny. And I'll probably be hopping right back on to um, to see if uh, – if if to tell you all my thoughts on it. I can actually check right now, see if there's any more murmurings because – this won't be the first time I've had breaking news happen while I was recording, but I I don't think it's going to happen. Um, there's some more news about Kyrie and Kevin Durant right now. The Nets are prepared to lose both of them. So, yeah. Wait. Okay, there's actually a new reporting 20 minutes ago from Zach Klein of WSB and talking with multiple sources around the NBA Many believe Hawks are on the verge of trading for San Antonio's all-star guard, DeJounte Murray. However, it's looking like John Collins is not part of the deal. Would be Gallo and multiple first-round picks. Spurs prepping for future in 2023 draft. What? Okay, so there's actually is some real news. A good thing I checked because this is definitely worth mentioning. So where are they going to trade John Collins? I mean, I guess it's not impossible for them keeping Collins and... Um, Murray. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. This is, this is a uh, pretty, pretty wild. Yeah, good thing I checked my phone and checked Twitter real quick because that was actually some. Um, that's great podcasting there, just me reading Twitter. But sorry about that. That, that was definitely some, some news there that it probably won't be Collins going to San Antonio. Where are they going to trade Collins to? Oh my God. Yeah, this is. That's pretty wild. I don't know what they're going to do with John Collins. I don't expect them to keep Collins and trade for Murray because that would be them just full-fledged cannonballing into the tax, and I don't think Tony Ressler is doing that at all. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe you can double up here. If you can get a deal done with just picks and Gallo for Murray and then turn around and trade Collins for, I don't know, I guess someone cheaper, but Jesus. Okay. All right, I'm going to wrap things up here now. Um, I might be recording again today if this happens. So I might just, if I'm going to wait a few minutes after I finish recording this. And if it happens in like the next 10 minutes, I'll just, I'll just add to this recording. If it doesn't, I'll post this. And if Murray gets traded later today, I'll do another episode. So that's that's podcast planning while I'm recording the podcast. That's awesome. So um, yeah, so if you made this far listening, I really, really appreciate it. I might see you later. I might not. Who the hell knows? So thank you for listening, and I will see you in the next one.